1964, Albert Adler developed a theory about the importance of, of birth order for personality. His work paved the way for many later psychologists to come and to begin and continue his work on the importance of birth order. One of the things that has come out of the study of birth order is this concept of the middle child syndrome. The, the middle child is the one who is, is the peacemaker of the family. He, is the, he or she are the one who are even-tempered. They're adaptive to new situations, but they're also accustomed to being excluded, to being ignored, or to being outright left out of things. We had family friends who had four sons, and the third son, who falls into this middle child category, uh, decided to do an experiment one Wednesday night. He decided that when they got home from church, he would just lay down in the backseat of the van and see how long it was until his family realized that he was missing. Well, his experiment failed. He, he laid down and he rested and eventually no one had come. So eventually he just went into the house. Now, trust me, I, I'm guessing he's gonna have some counseling bills when he gets older. See, the middle child is the one that is often neglected, often forgotten. As we get ready to look at the resurrection this morning, as we, as we study about and as we learn about Jesus who is raised from the dead, I want us to focus on three spheres or three phases of the resurrection. The, the resurrection as a past event, the resurrection as a present event, and the resurrection as a future event. Now let me ask you, if you think about sermons you've heard, you think about Bible classes you've been to, think about conversations that you've been to with people, which of these three phases do you think suffers from the middle child syndrome? What aspect or element is neglected or overlooked in our understanding of the resurrection? I think the phase of the part that's most often misapplied or, or overlooked is the present. How the resurrection impacts and influences our present life. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look briefly at all three phases but we're going to give our attention to what significance the resurrection has for us in our present age and in our present days. So first, let's look at the past. Christianity clearly is a historic religion. It's built on a faith of something that happened in the past. Now, for those who aren't familiar with that story, what happened is the story of these women who they, they make a journey as they travel, they, they travel there with their hearts heavy. Uh, they're carrying in their hands these, this ointment and these perfumes to prepare a body for, for its burial custom. Their, their shoulders are sagging in sadness and their hearts are heavy. They arrive there at the graveside, at the tomb. And yet when they get there, they realize that the stone has been rolled away. They're confused. They're perplexed. They're wondering what's happening. And, and then as if there was a man, as if he knew what they were thinking, who said that, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. And so the women, in excitement and in joy, they go off to find Jesus now remaining 11 disciples. And as they travel, those shoulders that were sagging are now upright. Those eyes that were heavy with grief are now filled with joy and excitement. In their hearts, they're leaping with delight because of the news that he is no longer there in the grave, but he has indeed risen from the dead. 
See, as Christians, we look at the resurrection and we realize that the resurrection is the story of the one who has been raised from the dead. That in this one single moment, the, the resurrection becomes a moment in time in which we know that the world will never be the same. Later, when the Apostle Paul speaks about the, the matters of first importance in the Christian faith, he speaks of and he mentions that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. So Paul is saying to those original readers that you can go out and you can find people who are witnesses, people who will testify to the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. So the resurrection is this past event of one who was in the tomb but has been resurrected. But that past event, the resurrection, also has these dramatic future impact and, and significance for us as Christians. Jesus is called by Paul in 1 Corinthians the first fruits in the context of the discussion of resurrection from the dead. Did you know that some states don't require you to have uh, automotive liability insurance? Uh, what they do require instead is proof of financial uh, responsibility. You can submit uh, surety bonds or real estate bonds or bank investment statements. If you can prove that you have the money, then that's all they require instead of insurance. What we call proof of financial responsibility, the Bible calls first fruits. Uh, the concept of first fruits would be if, if somebody was looking at buying a piece of land, they would go to the landowner and they would, they would inquire about what the, the crops that that land would produce, the fruits that it would produce. And so maybe as a part of the contract, they would say, when you provide me with the first fruits, I will expect, I will inspect them as proof or as assurance that these plants will produce fruits and then the financial transaction goes through. So the first fruits is proof of something more to come. And so Paul says of Jesus' resurrection that it is the proof for us as Christians that there is more to come, that the resurrection will continue to have influence and impact on future generations. See, so those who believe in the name of Jesus those who confess the truth of his identity as Son of God, and those who believe in the reality of his resurrection, they can be joined with Christ in the waters of baptism. In this way, they become co-participants in the death and in the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, so we too might also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the reality of the past resurrection becomes the foundation for the future hope and assurance that those of us who are baptized into the waters of baptism have been joined with Christ, we too will share in his resurrection. But what about the present significance of the resurrection? Does the resurrection mean anything to us today? Because if not, the resurrection should remain as the forgotten middle child, neglected, unimportant. But what is its significance for us today? 
there's a recent CNN Money article that said 66% of millennials, uh, people who are now between the ages of 21 and 32, have not saved anything at all for retirement. As sociologists look at the reason why, that this is the generation that has been influenced the most by September the 11th, 2001. It's, it's formative to them. That there was previous generations who thought that the only time that you're going to find yourself in war is where you go off to find it. But this generation knows that war can come right to your very own front door. This is a generation who watched either their parents or grandparents spend 40, 50 years working for a company, and maybe they were miserable along the way, but they said, at least at the end, I'll get a good pension out of it. And then some of those companies have cut pensions, have, have started to cut or withhold some of those benefits that are due to the employees. And so they're saying, why do I save up everything for the future when I don't even know what the future will look like? And so how do we share the resurrection story with people who might wonder, I want to realize the benefits now. Is there any benefit now with the resurrection? So think about the things that are going on in our lives right now. John Hopkins University is saying that 1.5 million people have the coronavirus. Worldwide, 85,000 people have died from it. In terms of the, the global economic factor, the United Nations is saying that they expect that 195 million people will lose their work as a result of this. In the last two weeks of March, 10, 000, 10 million people alone in the United States are out of work. Does the resurrection have anything to say in a time like this? And the biblical answer is yes. So I want us to look at our Bibles and, and see how they talk about the importance of resurrection for the very things that we're going through today. Paul writes in Ephesians, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what I want you to do is to notice the tense of these words that we have been made alive together, that's past tense. That we have been raised up, that's past tense. That we have been seated with, again, it's past tense. All of these are things that have happened, not just things that will happen. So echoing this in Colossians 3.1, if you have been raised with Christ, past tense, then seek, present tense, the things that are above. The benefits of the resurrection have already started for us as believers. Think about it this way. You and your family get tickets to go to Disney World. And you arrive and your tickets say that you can enter at 10 o'clock and you look at your watch and it's 9.30. And so you and your family sit down and people are entering into the park and the kids want to go in the park. But you say, it's not our turn yet. We wait till 10. And right when the clock strikes 10, you get into line. You give the person your ticket and you say, man, we've been waiting. We're so excited to get in. Um, and, and we knew we had to wait until 10 o'clock. But the person working there said, you must not have changed your time because it's already 12 o'clock. And you realize all that time you're sitting on the bench waiting, you could have already been in the park enjoying everything that the park has to offer. See, in a similar way, many of us have been given the gift of the resurrection and yet we are holding on to our ticket, waiting for one day that we can enjoy its benefits and blessings. But as the Bible speaks about the resurrection, we can begin to enjoy the fruit and the blessing of the resurrection today. Paul gives an example from his life where he shares the significance of the resurrection in his present life. 2 Corinthians chapter 
1 and verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we are experiencing in Asia, for we were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. See, Paul is describing this affliction that he experienced in Asia, and he assumes that his readers know what he's talking about. But as he talks about it, he uses this word to describe how he was weighed down. He borrows a word from from the the, the realm of of marine life and and of boats and of all of that sort of thing. This word of being weighed down is where you would see a boat that's been overloaded and it's overbearing. And that's the word that Paul uses to describe what life is like for him. And then he uses two other words to to further uh, describe it for us. He says that the weight was utterly or completely or excessively great. It was beyond measure. And if that was enough, he goes on to say that the, the weight was beyond our power. And he didn't think that he either could or would live through that affliction. Have you ever been in a situation like that? when all the easy answers just get thrown out the window as you carry that burden or weight. Maybe with everything that's going on in the world right now, you, you feel like you can identify or relate to Paul of this burden and affliction that he carries and that he bears. So in the ninth verse, Paul writes, Indeed, we have felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. Paul says the hardships serve two functions. First, so that we would not rely on ourselves. And second, so that we would rely on God who raises from the dead. See, the gods of the the ancient Greeks were basically one-trick ponies. They had these one attributes or this one characteristic that they would do. So they would have these specialty gods. Epaphrodite, the goddess of love. Artemis, the goddess of fertility. But Paul, when he describes this God, what he attributes it to is this is the God who can raise people from the dead. Paul is saying that what helped him and sustained him and gave him hope was this knowledge and this awareness that God raises people from the dead. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, He who rescued us from, the, from such a deadly peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. See, these, this is where Paul talks about this three time spheres where the resurrection impacts him. He says of the past, he who rescued us from so deadly a peril, God has in the past rescued. In the present, he says, he will continue to rescue us. And in the future, Paul says, on him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. See, out of his Jewish roots, Paul is using a very familiar form of convincing people or a kind of argument which we can call from the greater to the lesser which says that if somebody can do a greater act or a greater deed then surely they can also do a lesser deed as well so Paul is saying that since God can raise people from the dead clearly God can rescue which is a lesser form of resurrection us from hardships and perils and persecutions So the reality of the resurrection allows Paul to live with the assurance that God can continue to rescue him in his present time. If God can do a harder thing, should we not be convinced that he can also do an easier thing? Paul uses that lesser to greater argument again in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life 
Neither angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's been said that one of the greatest needs we experience as humans is the need to be loved. And there are probably days that we are not experiencing love in the ways that we wish that we were. Parents separated from children, families, friends, all separated from one another. But if God can raise Jesus from the dead, surely he can protect us from anything that might separate us from his love. See, what if we were to take Paul's list and we were to add some of our current situations? Can COVID-19 separate us from the love of God? Can a stay-at-home order separate us from the love of God? Can social isolation separate us from the love of God? Can the fact that we can't meet together as a body of Christ separate us from the love of God? Paul will say because he can raise his son from the dead, that there is no concern of these lesser things to get in the way of God's love for his children and for his people. We can know today in the certainty of these lesser things because there is a God who is raised from the dead, that he equips us with what we need. He shows his love and he has power to rescue us even from a situation like this. See, the resurrection is a historical reality that guarantees a future hope but it also provides us with hope in this present age and this present day. And so in the midst of all of the hardship that we're enduring, my prayer is that we will remember that God is worthy to be praised because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the grave. And perhaps all we can think and say from the words of Romans 11:36, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.